When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to another episode of Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mental health and life. In this episode, I interview Harvard-trained psychologist and life coach, Dr. Sasha Hines, on some of the reasons we're struggling to get a handle on our anxiety and stress, how to unsubscribe from our thoughts, how to handle emotions like frustration and fear during this pandemic, and how to break free from mental blocks. Dr. Hines also shows us that we don't always have to react to life, that we have the capability to create our future and even to blow our own minds. If you enjoy my podcast and want to know how you can help me continue making them possible, please consider subscribing wherever you listen and leaving a five-star review. And please continue sharing this podcast with friends and family and keep sharing about it on social media. I love seeing what you guys found helpful. And now on to today's episode. Dr. Sasha Hines, what a pleasure to have you in the studio today. I'm so excited to talk to you about the fantastic work that you do and just how you approach mind. I love it. I feel like I'm talking to a like-minded person. I know. I'm delighted to be here. It is very fun when I get to nerd out on topics like this. Oh, I agree with you, especially when you, you, you talk in the same language. It's mm -hmm. just fantastic. Yeah, it is. I love it. Okay, so before we begin, can you just share a little bit about yourself that's not in your bio? I, I love to find out more about the you know the story behind you and what keeps you motivated and why you do what you do, how you got to where you are today. I think the thing that keeps me motivated is, you know, for most of us that have been in, you know, research scientists, it's there's an element of me search in the research that we do and trying to solve things that feel questions that we have, trying to solve questions in our own lives. And so my career, I think for me, really has been one of trying to solve this maddening problem of, you know, I know what to do and yet I can't get myself to do it. I love how you say that the I, the paradox of I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the universal human problem. And even in studying positive psychology, so my background, I did my master's at UPenn studying with Marty Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania, and then got my doctorate in developmental psychology at Columbia. But you know, nonetheless, despite all of my academic knowledge and and that background, I there's still this you know intention action gap 
Mm, I love it. I love the way you've explained that, and you and the way you said. What did you say? Self research, self search, self search, me search, me search, me search. I love it. So, so you doing me searching to try and solve the universal paradox? Well, at least try to help people with it because I this for me. I felt that personally, this is always kind of you would always stymie me, and I felt stymied by this. Like I knew what to do, and in fact, I think. It it felt even more acute when I went to Penn and I and it was the first year that there was even a master's pro it was the first master's program offered in the world in positive psychology and we were the first thirty three people to get the degree so you know here we are and and we fancy ourselves to be pioneers in the field of positive psychology it was very exciting and it was such a wonderfully it, it was a wonderful year and and just handpicked some of the greatest professors in the field working with us, which was really exciting. And I knew all of these, I I knew a lot and I knew more than most about what are the causes and correlates of happiness and well-being. But I still felt, you know, as I said, I would, I I still felt in my day-to-day life, I felt frustrated by my inability sometimes to apply what I knew. Yeah, I totally get that. And you call that the sort of, what do you call it? The mindset gap. And we call it the intention action gap. Yeah. So I have an intention to do something, but I'm not doing it. And I think, you know, even this is a problem for everybody. I mean, think about the billion dollar industry of weight loss. Everybody knows how to lose weight. That's not the problem. Everybody knows what to do. I mean, there may be many different approaches to it, but the general equation is it's mostly eat less, a little bit of move more, and you'll lose weight. But we all, most people struggle with implementing it, right? So, the, you know, closing the intention action gap is more about your thought. I mean, I'm, now I understand this a lot better than I did before, but it's about closing the mindset gap than it really is anything else. I love what you've just said, that closing the gap is to do with your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, for 38 years, I have been researching the mind-brain connection and I've done endless research. I have worked with cross-culturally in different environments. I spent 25 years like deep nose diving into in South Africa in the areas that had been, besides running a practice and working in corporate medicine stuff, I worked with people that were very underprivileged in the apartheid system and prior apartheid system and the post-apartheid system. Mm -hmm. And I say all that to say is that it's mind. It's what we are thinking. And for years, I have tried to to talk this language with people that we've got to focus on our thoughts because yeah. we are giving all the techniques. And I remember, Sasha, back in the 80s when it was all the focus was on your brain can't change. I told, I remember posing the question that we can use our mind, our thinking to change how we function and it will change the brain because the brain will respond to the mind. They're separate right. but inseparable. And I, might, I remember my professors, except for one, two, saying to me, that's ridiculous. That can't happen. So I said, okay, watch me. And I took grief traumatic brain injured patients that, and there was no very little research on them in those days. And they were just written off. And I said, okay, I will take the worst. And I took someone who'd had a car accident for two years and I mean, for two weeks had, had car accident and they were in a coma for two weeks. Long story mm-hmm. short, I showed that when you change your mind, you change your brain. And so when you say closing the gap is mind related, mm-hmm. I love that you say that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I think this should be good news for people because I think there are a lot of people out there that feel d- demoralized defeated, depressed, and feel hopeless because they've tried so many times to just 
change their behavior and it hasn't worked. And they think there's something wrong with them. And there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that we can't change our actions, follow our thoughts. Our actions are a result of our thinking. And without changing how we think about things, right? It's that we have a psychological immune system that's kind of keeping us stuck in place. I love that. So maybe it starts with our mind and you talk about, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is you talk about getting unstuck and you talk about flow activities and so on. Is this, is this a good point to bring that up? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's something that's so important right now to talk about, especially as every, you know, everybody is sheltering and staying at home and trying. And, and I think that we're dealing with psychic entropy on a global scale right now. Just to find psychic entropy for Yeah. People. I mean, it's sort of, it's a, fan, it's, it's a fancy academic way of just describing mental chaos, your mind sort of descending into chaos. And, and really what that feels, what it feels like to us is really that sense of floating anxiety. Mm, so, so good. That's so well explained. Floating anxiety. You, know, you almost can't even identify why you feel anxious. You just feel anxious. It's really because your mind has nothing to focus on. It's you, you're sort of your mind is racing. In y- yoga, people call it monkey mind. It, it's the same idea. Mm, I love it, monkey mind. That's in the in the meditation literature as well. They use that exactly. a lot. The monkey, the monkey mind. It's so it's so, and we see that you know these these clinical trials I've been doing. We use QEEGs because they're so reflective of the energy of the brain, and we see that monkey mind. It's unreal. We see it's like you get you can see the energy flows like a waterfall instead of like a wave, and it, it disrupts function. It just you can't think straight. Right, exactly, and and it becomes very uncomfortable to be present with yourself. Mm, that's so interesting. So what do you do about that? How do you deal with that? What's happening is, you know, your thoughts are essentially very diffuse. So what you want to do to manage psychic entropy is to give your mind something to focus on, an objective or something to sort of pull the threads into one, which is what we call the state of mind that we call that is, you know, to, to the state of flow or engagement. If you're an athlete, you might hear it referred to as being in the zone. But essentially, it doesn't even have to be, you don't have to be a professional athlete to get into the state. It could be someone who loves to draw. You could be someone who gets into that state when they're writing. Someone can get into that state when they're doing any activity or hobby. It just requires that the level of challenge is slightly above your level of skill. So you have to stretch your mind a bit to do it, but not too much that you're feeling stressed and anxious again, right? Because if it's too difficult, it's going to create stress. But so you want to be in that sweet spot. And and if it really, I think the easiest way to identify it is watching children when they're playing. I love that. Carry, give us the carry on with that example. That's a great example. Well, I mean, example. I think I've been watching since, you know, we've been home and my kids right now, my children are six and nine and my nine-year-old and my six-year-old both love to build Lego. And my son, who's nine, has been building, you know, really cool. He, he's been recreating some, some battles. So he spends all day, you know, his free time right now, constructing these incredible world. You know, he's creating the invasion of D-Day at the moment, right? So, he, but it's really wild to see what he's done. But if I watch him do it, he's engaged, his, he's thinking. It's challenging for him because he's, like trying to construct something, but he has a lot of confidence in his capabilities of building these things, right? He's 
handy with it. So, but you can really watch child. He's not sitting there thinking about the future. He's not thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. He's not thinking about criticizing himself or questioning what someone meant by a comment they made earlier in the day. He's not thinking about anything. In fact, sort of a hallmark of this state of flow is that you almost lose a total sense of yourself. You lose self-consciousness. He's totally unconscious of himself. It's almost as if his body doesn't even exist. He's so engrossed in what he's doing. He's merged into the, into the activity. Oh my gosh. You're talking like this and my brain's going ping, ping, ping. I have to share this with Sasha. We, what you've just said now is, is totally, we've, we saw this in our clinical trials. We've just been this particular week, the neurosurgeon I work with on the, on the QEEGs, we saw this exact thing happening. So my theory that I developed 38 years ago is very much around the intelligence of the non-conscious mind, which is very challenging to the current idea of what consciousness is. But essentially, without going into the philosophy, when you talk about getting into the zone and your child, like almost losing a sense of self, mm-hmm. you see that you see that in the QEG, you see an increase in what we call the alpha bridge and increase in theta. And it's, it's like think of a wave in the sea. Think of just before the waves break, there's, it's like a swell. That's what theta is. And it projects you forward. So think of how that swell actually then develops into the big wave, which then crashes on the beach. So mm-hmm. theta is that in the zone kind of energy that moves through the brain that brings, it optimizes the energies, the structural functionality and the neurochemistry and everything about the brain. So with your mind, you actually optimize the brain. When you, I'm just giving you the science behind yeah. the getting in the flow. And then that kind of pushes you forward into getting unstuck. So that's the science side. I, I know this is your field. I don't know if you've ever yeah. looked at it like that. Well, it's so fascinating. And thinking about what is he doing and it, he's learning. He's skilled. Yeah, he's learning. He's right? learning. He's learning and he's building skills because he's so he's it's a it's a sense in a sense he's practicing, right? Because it feels and again, it's this it's a strange state in the sense that it doesn't feel good in the moment necessarily because you're don't you're not even conscious of yourself. It's like you lose time. Right. So it's for me, I get this when I write. You know, I can look up and think, oh my gosh, how is two hours how is I just Two hours went by. What you know? I've completely lost my sense of time. But so, and I was so unaware of myself. You you don't even recognize that you need to eat or go to the bathroom or lose your sense of self. But then, in retrospect, it feels good. You think, ah, that was great, or that was fun. That was a great day, or you know, that was a fun thing I just did. Right? There's a sense of. It feels, it's like emotionally, it actually feels expansive and it feels good. But in the moment, you almost don't even have any sense of self at all. Mm, that's incredible. And, and what you're saying is that we should do that frequently during the day or have periods during the day. How do you use that in your life practically? I think this is really interesting because... We're designed to go into the state of flow for a reason, right? Because it helps us build skills. And then, of course, in the building of the skills, we then create a life. We learn how to make things. We learn how to be artisans. We learn how to, right? This is an important human skill. And it's what's helped us to create society and to create some of the amazing, you know, tools and technology that we have now. But so it, what I think is so fascinating though is Csikszentmihalyi, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, anyhow, he and Marty were the founders of positive psychology. He wrote the book Flow and this is all his you know, research. But one of his findings was that when he was doing the experience sampling method, so he was 
you know, in the, in the nineties, like beeping people, they're wearing a beeper and he's pinging them during the day to write down their affect, what they're experiencing emotionally, what they're, what they're feeling. And what he found was that people actually felt better at work than they did on the weekend, which seems very counterintuitive. But the reason his hypothesis about this was that what's happening is you feel more flow, you experience more flow at work because you have clear objectives, there's purpose and meaning, you know, you have the you, you have deliverables and things that you're doing and you're engaged and you're focused on the work. And for most of us on the weekend, we haven't cultivated a life where we're at we have in, we're engaged in hobbies and activities that create that state of flow. So people on the weekend would be entertaining themselves kind of passively watching TV or, you know, passively entertaining themselves. And they wonder why they kind of feel this floating anxiety. So in a sense, all of us right now are sort of on an extended weekend. I mean, even though we're all, you know, a lot of people are working from home, but the boundaries of going to work and being at work. And for some people who are furloughed or have been, you know, are their work has been paused, you know, for this period of time, they're on an extended weekend. And it, 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 one would think that that would be delightful, but that's not the way our brain is wired. It actually doesn't feel good. So I think it's in, and in, in now because of technology and we have 20, we have access 24 seven to entertainment. It's very easy to pass the time without actually having to cultivate hobbies and activities that bring you into a state of flow. So I, I think interestingly, like, we'll Sasha, see I have, can I interrupt you? There? Yeah, that was please. brilliant. That's brilliant. So one of the big dangers of this extended lockdown is an extended weekend, which sounds like heaven, but actually is not. No. <laughs> because it's so, it's so easy. You, that last statement you made, it's so easy. Can you just repeat it? What did you say? It was so good. It's just so easy to engage in sort of passive, you're going to, you know, passively try to entertain yourself and engage in what I call emotional Novocaine, like things just to kind of numb you out, to numb you from the experience. And this is just all it's going to do. It's like, it's putting fuel on the fire to your psychic entropy. It's just going to create more mental chaos and disorder. Because you're not actually active, you don't have the boundaries, you do, you're not developing hobbies, you're right. not stretching yourself. So we do need periods of rest because I know immediately people are going to say, but aren't we ever supposed to relax and watch some Netflix now and then? Of course you are, but there's got to, it's almost like you've got to relax within structure, if I'm hearing you correctly, to stop this this entropy thing. Yes, but in fact, and, it, and ironically, when you watch children, I think children are such, it's wonderful to learn from them, but when you watch them and they're constantly being active and what you see is that their brain is relaxing as they're focusing on a project, right? You see a kid who's having a hard time and they're having a meltdown, right? It's like they're boundaryless. When you give them, you know, if you give them a sheet and say, okay, we're going to do a coloring project. It's like their entire nervous system calms down. It, to- it totally changed. We, s- we see that you can actually see that in the QEGs and you can see that in the blood work because in my clinical trials, we looked at as soon as people are organizing, the- managing their mind, basically the techniques have developed on mind management. We see yeah. immediately that as soon as people are starting to get these boundaries that are not 
tying you up, but they're giving you direction. You start seeing a change in how the energy flows through the brain and how the blood, like even do, like for example, things like prolactin, which is in the males and females. We always think of prolactin breastfeeding mothers, but that's not the case. It's actually one of the neuroendocrine hormones that is directly linked to the flow state. It literally is directly linked to how you're functioning on an intelligent, non-conscious level. And when that is not flowing like it should, you actually affect that. So you'll see the effect what you've just described, I'm just giving a bit of brain science and physiology behind it. If you don't have that focus, if you get out of that flow, if you you actually affect the neuroendocrine system, the hormones, the yeah. way the energy flows, the, the way the cells, the way the DNA works. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I think this is a muscle that's been atrophied in an interesting way in our generation. It's fascinating to see people picking up puzzles for the first time in years or card games or board games or, you know, go out and doing some gardening, organizing their homes, all these things. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be Michelangelo and, you know, painting the Sistine Chapel ceiling. It doesn't have to be a a masterpiece. It just... It's just giving your brain, and, and I think people who knit can understand this, but it's giving your brain something to focus on so that it can relax. Sasha, as you're talking, I'm thinking of when my kids were growing up, and I've got four, and they're all big now. They're all in their 20s. And they when they sat and watched TV, from, from when they could, they would build Lego. They always would build Lego while watching TV. And it was like, the, so it was passive, but there was an action involved. And I got all my patients to do that. And it made such a difference in terms of avoiding this the mental chaos. Yes. And then just talking about painting, two of our kids are in New York, the other two in Seattle. But then I've got two here with one of their best friends. And they've set up an art section and these are 22 year olds and 25 year olds we've got a whole section of art like our lounge area that is with all the art stuff set up and i mean as you said it's not picasso that's coming out of there there's some pretty good stuff using that energy to do this and then they're doing like the meals my youngest daughter's taken over meal time because i'm so working 15 hours a day at the moment and she does these incredibly creative meals like themed and the detail and the beautiful laying out of the table i mean if it was me we would have just got what I don't know what we would have got from right. dinner. It's something like that takes like three seconds to make and healthy, exactly. but it would be, you know, so it's just, as you're saying, it's like getting in the flow. And she actually, my youngest daughter described that. She actually said that, and, and my other daughter loves to, you know, also be baking like keto Easter eggs and all these complicated things that are difficult to do, but yeah. you're getting in the flow. Absolutely. Cooking is a great one, great activity to get people into a state of flow. And if you think about all of these cooking shows, these competitive cooking shows, that we love to watch. We all love to watch, you know, the great British baking show or whatever, what have you. And I think one of the reasons we love to watch it is because you're watching people in, in a state of flow. It's mm, that's so true. That's so true. You probably have heard me say that no diet or exercise routine will work unless you get your mind and mindset right. That's why I love Noom. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom is not a diet. Rather, it is a tool to help you develop the right mindsets around health, fitness, and food. Noom doesn't tell you what to do and what not to do. It teaches you how to look inside your own mind and make better decisions for yourself. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and community of other Noomers, so you'll have all the support you need to empower your change. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M, 
noom.com/drleaf. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com/drleaf to start your trial today. That's n o o m.com/drleaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. So it's almost like the relaxation needs to be, have a challenge to it. So if you are going to watch Netflix, let's say that you're going to watch your favorite series on Netflix, what how would you suggest a person approaches that? I mean, I think that there's absolutely a time and place if you've had a long day and you want to relax and you're watching a show, but there's a part where you're flipping into the show is, you know, a Netflix starts in 3 seconds. And you just are compulsively watching another one and another one. And you're not really engaged. Like if you're not fully engaged in the story, then it, you're going to be prone to start feeling this restlessness, which is why everyone's like, wait, I want to go to the pantry. You know, I want to go get a snack. <laughs> it's because you're not, you're, you're, there's this sense of restlessness because your brain is not in a state of flow. It's, and you don't want to be, you know, you're not going to be in a state of flow all the time. I mean, that's a very specific thing, but I think. When any time that you're engaged in something that's requiring your brain to be active, it actually helps to relax your nervous system in in the funny way. So you know, it's just it's an interesting way of of being able to kind of calm your nervous system down. Because I think right now everybody's feeling very activated and in feeling a lot of intense emotions. So it's just one way. It's just you know a tool. But if you think about the model, I mean in the authentic happiness model of well-being, which is Marty Seligman's model, the five acronyms is P-E-R-M-A and P is for positive emotion. These are the components of well of well-being. So positive emotion, the E stands for engagement. So this flow, being in flow is essential for your well-being. R is for relationships. The M is for meaning and purpose. And the A is for Achievement. So, you know, achievement and goal setting, if you think about achieving goals, is also a way that we focus our psychic entropy as well, right? On a specific end, you have an objective and you're going to go achieve it. So, you know, exercise can be a way of doing that. But, you know, if you think about it, two out of the five components of well being are directly related to managing psychic entropy. Mm, so that's the engagement and the achievement yeah. are both directly related to managing this this flow, this psychic yeah. entropy, this mental chaos that leads to this floating feeling of anxiety that mm-hmm. I call the old-fashioned word that describes it so well, which is what I use it so much, angst. You know, it's such a A N G S T. It's such a great word for explaining that Mm -hmm. that sense of I don't know what's wrong, but I feel edgy and I've got to do something and you know channel it somehow. And we need to respond to that. That's that's our mind works to our brain. Our brain responds to our mind. When we're starting to feel that, it's 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 a signal. We need to respond. And what you've given us some incredibly important points about when you feel that this mental chaos, you feel the floating anxiety. Take it as a recognition that there's a bit of mental chaos going on, and you can direct that and get yourself back into a flow state by engaging and uh, trying to achieve something like a goal. Have, can, you exactly. could probably say it way better than I can, but is that kind of a good summary? Exactly. exactly. And I mean, I most of the work that I do with my clients is primarily on the, you know, I'm not helping them on the, what I would say on the action line, like on the level of changing their behavior. I would be looking at what are you thinking that's creating this? What is the mental chaos about? And really 
trying to sort of pull it apart and understand it and understanding what their thoughts are that are creating uncomfortable emotions for them. But I think that just with this, with what's happening in the world right now, I think this is just a very easy tool to remember that there's, you know, it, it can be very useful sometimes to just, you know, play solitaire, do a puzzle, you know, get your brain a little bit engaged. If you're feeling like you can't pull yourself out of it, try to engage in something that is requires a little bit of challenge. I love it. So you've given so many examples. And as you said, if you don't know what to do, just look at your kids or watch a few kids and see how they challenge themselves. It's true. They, they'll look at a jungle gym, the young ones, and they'll think, okay, I climbed that high last time. I'll climb high. And you can see their little minds working, how they're going yeah. to climb a little higher, even if it's just one run higher on yeah. jungle gym or something. And that's the kind of model. So it's a level of discomfort. And that's very good for, so when we make this, but that's a mind decision. Exactly. You use your mind to, you said something interesting. So you try and help people to find the, what are you thinking that is causing this. And I'm so pleased to hear you say that because very often with things like CBT and that kind of stuff, the cause is not the issue. They don't focus on that. It's more just that's the wrong thought, change the thought. And a lot of the work that I've done for the last 38 years, which we've, I've now got an app called Switch. I don't know if you're aware of that, but it's it, Basically, it's based on the process that you use in your mind to change your brain and with, with whatever, whether it's the recurrent crises, the acute, the traumatic, how to manage in this the day-to-day plus the big stuff, etc. And it's all about what is your thinking that is causing this. Because if you don't find the underlying cause… Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got a thought pattern, but you've got to find the underlying cause of why you're thinking like that in the first place. There's always a reason that you're thinking the way you're thinking and to try and find that so that you can then reconceptualize it. Can you talk a little bit more about that statement that you made? What are you thinking that is causing this? Everybody responds to external stimulus or what's happening in the world, reality. Everybody is responding to it in a different way. And it's all because of the our cognitive interpretation of it. Or our, our evaluation of what's happening. And I think it's just a fascinating natural experiment that's happening now where you begin, you know, every, there's a sort of a global thing occurring and people reacting to it in very different ways, quite strongly in very different ways. And so it's like, there's a sort of, it's a hyperbolic version of what we're dealing with in more mundane times. <laughs> But it's it's the same thing is true for everybody all the time, which is things happen to us, things happen in the world, and we have a thought about it. And it's the thought that we think is what's creating the emotion that we feel always. And then the emotion that we feel is what's generating our action. So you know, the, the work is always, in my mind, the work is always in identifying what is the thought that's creating the feelings, the actions, and the results that I'm creating. I love that. So what what I've seen from my research and that I've teach, been teaching for years very is, is the fact that a thought, we've got to remember that thoughts are real things. So if, you, if things happen, we are going to create the thought. It's a real thing. And we see that in the brain as you are thinking with your mind, you feel as you think and you feel you choose. So that's the mind action, but that produces a response in the brain and you physically build that into your brain. So you grow little branches, you grow protein branches called dendrites. So you actually grow thoughts, thoughts are real things. So, it, and that's the root of what you say and what you do. So until you identify all the branches, you can't move forward, which is what you're actually saying. And that, and that thought has got the emotions and the information together. You can't see, you, you've got to look at both. Right. A thought alone that doesn't actually 
gener- like a thought that doesn't create a strong emotion or create an emotion with it doesn't give your brain any information. So if, if I'm sitting here at my, in my office and I'm, you know, someone's like, oh, you know, there is some, a tiger is chasing you. There is no activation in my body. I do not feel scared. It's just words. They're meaningless. It doesn't do anything to me. If I was somewhere that, where that sentence, I actually hooked onto something in the sentence and I actually activated a feeling, then it would be telling my brain, <laughs> my body, it would be sending signals to my body to start to run. But if it's just you know a sentence alone without any real kind of cognitive interpret that where there's not an in sort of an interpretation, any meaningful interpretation of it, it's not going to cause an emotional reaction, right? So it's like if there's no physical sensation with along with the thought, I'm not feeling an emotion. I'm just saying words. But a physical sensation. Conversely, a physical sensation without a cognitive evaluation is not an emotion either, right? It's just pain. It's just t- stubbed toe or, you know, a headache. And it doesn't mean anything other than just an ache in your body, right? Or, and so it's, it's an interesting, I mean, I think what's, what's so fascinating about what we're learning about emotions is that, you know, that we are essentially the, we're, we're, we're the architect of our emotional experience as well. Super fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. And that's something that I've been teaching for years. I totally agree. Really, I love how you said that, that be the architects of our emotions. That's really good. But that's like, so your, your thought plus your emotion is what give it's that's giving your, the two together is the information about what we should be doing, right? Like that's what's giving your mind body, shall we say, information about what you're supposed to be doing. Are you supposed to run? Are you supposed to freeze? Are you supposed to, you know, jump and smile? Are you supposed to, you know, say something? It's that's what we use as the information to prompt our actions. Fantastic. I love it. You know, talking about the information to prompt our reactions, think of the information they're getting now. Listen, we could have gone all day, but I want to end with a sort of start wrapping up with what I think is a very significant question. The information that people are losing people, there's a lot of grief. Mm -hmm. So what advice could you give to those who may be struggling with those emotions that they're dealing with of grief in this time? If If they've lost someone or someone's really sick at the moment, loss of job, financial security, routine, you know, all the stuff that we know is just rampant at the moment. Right. There is, you know, in the ACT literature, there's an expression of clean pain and dirty pain. And the clean pain is someone you love dies and you feel grief. I don't want to not feel grief, right? Like we need to honor that we love that person and that we are experiencing a very deep longing for them and a missing of them and a sadness and all of those feelings that we're feeling, but that's what makes life so beautiful. That's what, those are, that's part of what makes life worth living is the capacity to feel those deep feelings. So you don't, I think just acknowledging that grief is, is, feels so intense it also is such a beautiful part of our experience of life. And that is just being able to sit with and surf that emotion, right? So just surrendering to the experience of it and allowing it to be there. What, and that's clean pain. And that's just a very normal part of life. 
that we all have to it's, it's just part of the deal. It's part of what we do. So what you're saying there that sort of if you had to give someone an actual tip, it's surrender and and sit with it, embrace it. Yeah. And I use an acronym with my clients I created. It's like SURF, which stands for surrender, unfold, watch it unfold in your body. What What's the physical sensation that you're experiencing? The R is for recede. It's just a 90 second biochemical wave. It's going to end. You might have another wave but they're just going to be these little waves and you're, you can just allow them to just roll over you. And then, so the R's recede and then the F is find, find the name or find the, find the emotion. So what would you call that? Was that sadness? Was that disappointment? You know, was that frustration? And you get, just to get to know yourself and to understand your emotional landscape in a way that maybe you didn't know before. Very good. That's lovely. I really like that. So, so surrender, unfold, yeah. recede, and find the emotional, the name of it. So, it. And even in just the labeling of it, and do the labeling of it at the end, because you want to just try to turn the thinking off and just experience it physically. But just being able to label an emotion is part of the process of emotional self-regulation. So even just being able to give it a name, I'm feeling angry will help you regulate the experience. Absolutely. We see that change directly. Mm -hmm. That mind exercise, that mind stuff you will see in the blood and the brain. You'll see it first on an unconscious level in the brain, and then you'll see it following the conscious a few seconds later and so on. So it's, that's really good. I love that. I love that. So that's the clean pain. And then you've got the dirty pain pain. is resisting those things, right? So it's, I shouldn't, grief is unbearable. I don't want to feel grief. We shouldn't have to, this is wrong. It shouldn't have to be this way. All of the resisting of it is what creates the dirty pain, meaning you're, you're already feeling grief. And then on top of the grief, you're feeling angry all of the other emotions like resentment, anger, frustration, all of those things on top of the grief, as opposed to just allowing yourself to sit there feeling sad. So you're kind of fighting it. So the dirty pain is you're you're fighting it instead of allowing yourself to sit with it. Right. And so, and you know, for some people, they're just very uncomfortable with intense emotions and they may be feeling one of, you know, an uncomfortable feeling that they don't want to feel, whether that's vulnerability or helplessness, those are uncomfortable for people. So when we engage in dirty pain, that means just that you're, that this, when we're shoving it away and we're disconnecting from it and we're trying to avoid feeling it, unfortunately, what we end up doing is we perpetuate it. We make it more intense or we, and in some way, the numbing of it, right? It prolongs it. Absolutely. And, and that's another thing that we saw in the clinical trials is, is and in this research on the, this neuroscientific research is that it's as soon as it happens, you're aware. As soon as you're aware, you're always changing something. So you're either changing it into something that you can manage or something that you don't manage, but it's still there. So it goes into an unconscious, even more toxic. So if you go into the dirty pain and you avoid allowing yourself to immerse yourself in it, allowing yourself just to go through the process, it'll still go into, an, it doesn't go away. It still goes into an unconscious mind, but it's even stronger. You're actually giving it the wrong kind of toxic energy. And and that's what people don't kind of realize. And then they go from one suppression, one suppression to the next. I'm sure you've seen that in your practice with your patients. You know, that's kind of where the addictions very often can come well, in. Of course, because it creates a sort of numbing of the soul, right? So 
Because if you're unwilling to feel, what happens is if you're unwilling to feel the more uncomfortable emotions, you're also then limit your ability to feel the more expansive emotions. So your emotional repertoire becomes very narrow. I love that. I love the way you said that. Limit the emotional, limiting the emotional repertoire. Goodness, this has been incredible. I love what you, how you've been explaining this and you've given so many great tips and points for people to get into that flow. I had so many questions, as you know. So we'll have to do this again. I love it. I love what you do too. And now everyone has an excuse to pull out their old jigsaw puzzle. (laughs) Exactly. And a jigsaw puzzle and go and cook up a storm and do whatever. Do go become Picasso and all these great. Go, go play Lego. You know, it's, it's, I, I believe there was a lot of, I don't know if you saw this, but early on in, in isolation, there was sudden, suddenly a run on baby chicks. People were buying little chicks and seeds and like planting gardens and raising their chickens to get yes. fresh eggs. I mean, this is fantastic. You know, it just get fantastic. a cow in, cow in your patio, you know. <laughs> It's, it's not always not brain. very practical. <laughs> good for your brain. Where can people find out more about you and your work? I am on Instagram at D-R-S-A-S-H-A-H-E-I-N-Z. And my website is the same name, Dr. Sasha Hines on online. It's I, My website's in the middle of being changed. So um, I work with groups and do group coaching primarily. And it would, there's something magical about being able to see other people get coached because it's much more, it's much easier to see that what's causing someone suffering is the way they're thinking when it's not you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We'd be everyone else's best expert. Be very good at giving advice to everyone else except and not taking our own. That's right. amazing. It's a very, very good. You know, so I have to ask you one last question before we go. And I'm going to put, we'll put all those links to Dr. Sasha Hines, her website and everything will be in the show notes. But you briefly touched on this. I just can't, if you can just wrap up with this maybe as a final kind of statement. You did an interview on the Goop podcast where you talk about unsubscribe from your thoughts. You yeah. spoke about a lot of stuff. You also have a great story about how you went through bulimia and anorexia and everything. And I'd, I'd love to have you back because I was absolutely thrilled at how you just explained and handled that. It was brilliant. But for so I definitely want to invite you back to talk about oh, that. But can it. you can you just wrap up with talking about sort of summarizing, unsubscribing from our thoughts? What do you mean by that? And how do you do it? The first thing to recognize is that every single thought that you think is optional. We've made them all up. And when you begin to see the world in this way, you realize that there's been a big buffet of thoughts available to you. And because of the way that you were raised and because of the experiences that you had as a child developmentally, the way your brain developed because of the relationships in your life and the things that you were told, you picked up in this buffet, you picked up certain thoughts about who you are and what you're worth and what you're capable of and what your future holds and all of these things. But there becomes a point in life when you get to become what I call an emotional adult, where you get to decide who you are and what you want to believe about yourself. And when you really begin, it's like the veil drops and you begin to realize that every single thing that you believe about yourself is something that at some point you made up. And sometimes you made that thought up at five. And it may have served you as a child and it may have helped you survive in certain situations as a kid but it may not be useful for you anymore. So we have so much more cognitive sovereignty than we think we do. 
Mm, I love it. We have cognitive sovereignty. We have the ability to change the way we think and feel, and that's directed neuroplasticity. You've spoken into what my listeners are used to hearing, which is that you can change your thought life, and you've confirmed that in a multitude of excellent ways. And I want to thank you for that, and thank you for your work, and just thrilled to have connected with you. And I'm really going to have you back on the show again, where oh, we can dive deeper it. into these topics. It's it. been and one amazing. thing I just want to say why it matters that you kind of get managed psychic entropy is because when you've met, when you're calming your brain down, it's much easier to access new thoughts. That's why it matters. Okay. So we've got to recognize our thoughts. The thoughts are optional. Your thoughts are optional. You can change them and you can use that mental chaos feeling, which leads to that floating anxiety to recognize that you need to deal with your thoughts. That's kind of- Oh, for what sure. Yeah. And that's, and that's how you basically yeah, will and unsubscribe. Like when you're in that ruminating site, that when you're in that wheel of anxiety and you're floating, you know, that sort of like- rabbit hole you're you know you're like on the hamster wheel and you your brain it's very hard to access new thoughts you know you're kind of in a loop so you want to be able to calm your brain down so that you can access other thoughts right so you can actually think on purpose and so that's the unsubscribing from our thoughts that's what you exactly. mean by that so that's when you're in that that's state the of work anxiety I do with my clients is helping them understand that there it's a it's just a skill learning how to think on purpose is a skill Mm, I totally agree. I say that all the time. You can yeah. learn how to manage your mind. Yeah, it's a skill. You can yeah. learn. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Well, thank you once again. And we will have all your links on our show notes and have a fantastic day. Oh, you too. Wonderful to talk to you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.